0: Father, who is our life, eyes turn to the beloved, who is our life, and we do that now, Lord. We turn our eyes to you. We ask that you would bless this time, Father, and that it would be an act of worship on our part to you. Bless your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> So tonight, wow, am I I really loud? Sounds loud, echoing. Tonight we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, in which Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, uses the history of Israel to warn and encourage them, and by extension, us, the Corinthians. the The Corinthians had become self-satisfied, maybe even proud. And they were indulging in patterns of sin that Paul had to address. So, Paul will be addressing the danger of pride and overconfidence, as well as behavior that would be disqualifying, especially when it comes to ministry. Um, Our passage is from 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. So we're going to see in this passage some correlations between us and the nation of Israel. And I hope you already do that. When you read the account of Israel uh, post-Exodus, you see correlations in their behavior with us. Um, These would include the following. Israel's God's chosen people, were miraculously freed from slavery. So you know the story. Um, God put his power over the bondage of slavery on display. We, as God's chosen people, have experienced the miracle of God's power to free us from the bondage of slavery to sin. There's the correlation. Both salvations are miraculous... And demonstrate the power, love, and grace of God. Once in the wilderness, God continued to demonstrate His power to deliver and provide. He orchestrated deliverance in the parting of the Red Sea. We know that He Himself made He made Himself known tangibly in the cloud of in the cloud and in then in the fire of His presence. He miraculously provided manna from heaven and quail to feed the Israelites, he gave them water to sustain them miraculously from the rock. Correspondingly, after he miraculously broke the power of the bondage to sin in us, in transferring us from the domain of darkness to, his, the, to the kingdom of his beloved son, God has provided for us. He has sustained us in every way just as he did the Israelites to include he has provided us with his written word he has guided us every step of the way his he has given us the church a body of believers to love and to learn and to grow in and he provides for our daily needs you know you could go on and on each one of us would have testimony about the provision of God in our lives and it would be edifying and uplifting and I'd like to hear it some point, and I hope we do, Um, but all that we have and do is because of God, and no different than the way God sustained and guided the Israelites in the desert. The Israelites took for granted that God was providing every step of the way. Even though they witnessed incredible miracles, they fell into grievous sin. So we must not take for granted the kindness, patience, and provision of God either. So let's take a look at our passage for tonight. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 1. I titled this message tonight, Miraculously Freed and Blessed, But Beware. So let's read it together. Verse 10, I mean, chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, Most of them, God, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, we're going to take a look at what Paul said to the Corinthians and by example, us. Uh, Verse 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. When Paul says for... He's referring back to something, and namely, he is referring back to what he had just talked about, which is disqualifying behavior of the Corinthians, using himself as an example. Behavior that can and will disqualify you if you are in a ministry position as well. That's the theme of what he is about to discuss with them and, by extension, us. Paul describes the experience of the Israelites under God's miraculous provision. All of them experienced the cloud of God's presence and had passed through the Red Sea. They all, in verse 2, were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what does that mean? What it means is that they were all identified with their leader, Moses, in those experiences. All the people and Moses sang a song about that experience. And it's found in Exodus 15. I'm going to read it to you because it's magnificent. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Exodus, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy in the greatness of your majesty you overthrow your adversaries you send out your fury it consumes them like stubble at the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up the flood stood up in a heap the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea the enemy said I will pursue I will overtake I will divide divide the spoil my desire shall be shall have its fill in them I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread... Endeavor. That was Moses and all the people singing about what they had just experienced in the deliverance of the Red Sea. You can see that they had the right view of God in the singing of that song. <laughs> they experienced it together. So I, I want you to remember this song as we progress on what Paul tells us in this passage verse 3 all ate the same spiritual food God's miraculous provision of the manna from heaven that's from exodus 16 Paul's outlining what God did and in verse 4 all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ God provided water from the rock miraculously in exodus 17 Paul identifies the rock in the spiritual sense as being the pre-incarnate Christ. And with all that going for them, all of those obvious signs and wonder, Paul goes on to say in verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. God had reason for displeasure. He says, most, not all, but most of them were overthrown, killed or died in the wilderness. We know from the account that only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land out of millions, including Moses and Aaron. Paul gives us one of the reasons for the written account of God's faithfulness and and the Israelites' unfaithfulness. Here it is. It was for us to learn from. He says in verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. If we know the story, we shouldn't look down our nose at the Israelites. Um, I think when we read that, we kind of ask ourselves, how could they have possibly disbelieved or grumbled against the living God? How could they have done? We know that sin, that we sin, and we are enticed by the world, the flesh, and Satan. We need to heed this warning as it applies to us. We have been blessed abundantly. We should never forget that God has given us all things. He has been long-suffering with us. Paul goes on to list the things that the Israelites did to displease God and bring judgment on themselves. Verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. This is a kind of a tame account of actually what happened, what was going on. This, is, this happened in Exodus chapter 32. You can look at it. Um, Moses was on the, on the mountain for an extended period of time, if you remember. He was receiving of all things the Ten Commandments at the time. Uh, the Israelites became impatient and convinced Aaron, of all people, to fashion a golden calf. They proclaimed that the calf represented God, and Aaron declared a feast. He even offered sacrifices to the calf. I mean, there's, there's reasons why they did this. They, when you think about where they came from, Egypt, the worship and sacrifice to inanimate objects was rampant and they had just come out of that. They tried to do it in a way that they they, um, described it as worshiping the living God in the calf, but it was idolatry. Um, Rose up to play. When he says they sat down and ate and got up to play, they rose up to play, literally means they were having sexual relations. So in this situation where they are impatient, they get Aaron to sin and offer him gold, he makes a golden calf and gluttony, false worship and sexual immorality takes place. So Moses, when he came back, as you know, was not pleased. Um, God was not pleased. Um, For us, we don't necessarily fashion idols out of wood or metal. Our idolatry idolatry begins with us, self-love, and then moves out from there. In verse 8, Paul admonishes the Corinthians who were dabbling in the very same things. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. This refers to the time when Israel was enticed to play the harlot with the women of Moab. If you've read that in Numbers, it's in chapter 25. They also bowed down and worshipped Baal. After having seen all the things that God has done, the deliverances, the miracles, they committed this grievous sin. God killed 23,000 in a plague that indulged in this. We play the harlot by loving someone or something more than God. And you can identify that by taking inventory in your own life. Paul continues by outlining two more instances of sin committed by the Israelites. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. This refers to the Israelites speaking out against Moses and Aaron in Numbers 21. The account goes like this. This is Numbers 21, verse 4. Beginning in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many He would look at the bronze serpent and live. We know the reference that Jesus made to being raised up and to look upon the serpent with faith, and you will be saved. Paul goes on in verse 10. So don't don't test the Lord. In verse 10, don't grumble, nor grumble as some some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer verse 10 refers to the incident in number 16 when the people grumbled about deaths related to Korah's rebellion if you know the story about Korah's rebellion after God judged them and took them out the people rebelled or grumbled about the people that were killed saying In number 1641, but the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. So God sent the destroyer to kill 14,700 people. The same destroyer angel that killed the firstborn in Egypt in the 10th plague. Paul goes on by reiterating why these incidents were documented in scripture. What were they for? In verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So sometimes when you read about Israel, you go, that's not me. I'm, I'm not like that. I'm so glad I'm not like that, even. But the fact is, Those things happen to them as an example and for our instruction. So keep that in mind. The Israelites' behavior is the example of what not to do. We must take heed and listen. We are not above these sins. Our heritage as believers does not exempt us. If we, like the Corinthians Paul is addressing, are dabbling in any of these sins, we must put them to death. God does not deal with sin and us the way he did then. But sin is still worthy of death. For us, it was the death of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, who took it all on himself. We live Under grace, but we must have the same attitude towards sin that Paul is encouraging here. Sin is worthy of death. We are under grace. Our behavior, though, can disqualify us if we're indulging or destroy our reputation. There are consequences. Paul says that we are the ones on whom the end of the ages has come. That's what he said on whom the end of the ages has come. He's referring to this age, the church age, post the post-resurrection and ascension of Christ. We are the ones at the end of the ages that has come. Paul reminds us in verse 12, "Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall." Don't be arrogant. Don't think that your standing in church, your community, your maturity in Christ will exempt you from temptation that leads to these sins. Don't look down on the Israelites. We are with them. So we have the serpent, the example of the serpent raised up to look on in faith in Christ our Lord. Take heed lest you fall don't become despondent either how do you how do we do this how do we not do this how do we not emulate what they did because I can say to you and to myself we're pretty quick to grumble and complain and it is no less a sin than it was then yet the wrath that we deserve was poured out on our saviour don't ever forget that. Verse 13, here's the encouragement. This is where Paul ends it with some encouragement for us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So temptation is a normal thing in the fallen world. That's what Paul's saying. Get used to it. It's going to happen. It has a purpose, though. And we're all faced with it. It can be temptation that results in sin or temptation that results in righteousness. And that's the difference. If the temptation is for righteousness then we have shown that we trust and rely upon God, who is faithful to give us a way out. How we handle it is the key. If we are unprepared or ignorant about the fact that temptation is ordained and by design, we'll probably fall. You likely will fall. If we understand that God ordains temptation like he did for his son in the wilderness, for the purpose of revealing our heart and level of trust, we can work with him to handle it righteously. God always provides a way out of sinful response to temptation, he keeps his promises. The preschoolers are learning that in the class on Sundays. God always keeps his promises. He is trustworthy, he is faithful, Seek him when temptation comes, and come out on the other side righteous in your refusal to sin in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you that you would use a nation of people to give us and, and allow them to fail and to give, us, to give us an example of how not to do it and for us to take note and to heed and to avoid and understand that the temptations they faced and fell in we face today. And we have the promises that you give to find a way out. I pray that we would go to you the moment temptation comes and inquire of you as to the way out because I believe you will reveal it. So we ask that you would do that. We thank you for this time together and we love you. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Would you please stand?